This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm not doing great. I think I'm actually going to demand a trade to another podcast. Oh. Uh, I'm thinking Fast Break Breakfast or, or something else on a step back, because uh, I don't know. Just you and I, the chemistry, I, I don't know. I'm not liking it, and uh, I just don't know if I can, you know, I, I just don't know if my career is going anywhere, wow. uh, you know, with this over and back thing. So sorry. I mean, I, I, I hate to do it now. I mean, it would have been nice to just, like, let you know before we started recording, but, you know. I, I'm a little bit shocked. It's hard, <laughs> quite frankly. I, 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 I'm sorry I had to be like this, but, you know. Wow. You, you just... This reminds me of something. I'm trying to think. <laughs> what? 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 Yeah. Tell me. I, perhaps it best <laughs> talked about in um, a quote from Magic Johnson on November 18th, 1981, in the locker room after a game at the Salt Palace in Utah. I can't play here anymore. I want to leave. I want to be traded. I can't deal with it no more. And later, it's nothing toward the guys. I love them and everybody. But I'm not happy. I'm just showing up. I play as hard as I can, but I'm not happy. I'm not having any fun. I just want to go. Is that the way that you feel, Rich? Yeah, no, I'm really not having fun. All right. Um, I just show up, really, at this point. Fair, just kind of, fair enough. So, yeah, no, that, that would be, uh, yeah, whatever you can do. Uh, I'll have my agent uh, send some paperwork over, but uh, we can we can figure out something like that. But no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, all right. I love my sure. my role here Ooh. on the Over and Back. All right. That's going to be a podcast on the step back on fan side. So don't worry. Thank goodness. I, w- w- Not that it would be the worst to go on fast break because they have a lot of fun yeah, over there, too. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like what I do here. Yeah. So you have to move to Nashville, though. That it might be tough. That. Yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not really prepared for that yet. Uh, but, you know, hey, if, the, if if they have a competitive offer or whatever, you know, you sh- you could take it. You should take it. If, you know, Keith, you take Keith, right? Yeah. Keith's pretty solid. Yeah. Keith's a good guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> you can take it. So, yeah. Uh, magic. What do you mean, Magic requested a trade? What the hell are you talking I about? I know. It's. Um, no. Uh, no. It's, it's interesting because, of course, uh, you know, the, the Lakers, they were so successful in the 80s. And it's easy to sort of get 
just sort of, you know, let the, the obstacles that they had to face, the egos, the you know, the drama, all the things that they dealt with that, you know, are it's easy to sort of let them fade in the background just because of the great success they have. You, you tend to remember the good things and not remember the great things. And this is also happening yeah, still at a time in which the NBA is not, you know, um, it's getting more popular, but still sort of in the, the dark days. So I, I feel like it, I think a lot of people know about it, but I, I don't think – it's the details of it are quite as well known. And I also don't think that the um, the amount of just drama and controversy that it created in the the dent that it put in magic reputation are really well appreciated. Yeah, it, it's just it's strange because it's really nothing. You know, it, it's not part of the lexicon of magic or this Lakers dynasty or anything like that. It's, it, it's so strange how. You really, I mean, you know, I've heard of it before, but like, it's just really never really brought up ever. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's something that's very much kind of pushed to the side of this entire kind of ordeal. And it wasn't like it was just this one, you know, frustrated moment. I have a lot of stuff built up to this, to that moment. And then a lot built up even after this uh, as well. Yeah. So we kind of have to go back to 1979 to beginning of this uh Magic Johnson comes in as a rookie. Uh, Dr. Jerry Buss is the new owner of the Lakers. He bought her from uh, the team from Jack Kent Cook and a very complicated real estate transaction. We, we're not going to break that down. But um, so these two characters come to the scene. Jerry Buss, uh, known for having a new woman on his arm practically every day, uh, like like dating young women. And uh, Magic Johnson also enjoyed the young women um, as well. So they both uh, developed a, a relationship unlike the what owners and players would generally have at the time or even since um which would lead to strife between the team that we'll get to but um at first everything's great uh 1980 season the lakers uh become a dynamic exciting team and very successful lots of glitz glamour stars fast break breakfast you know life uh the forum club opens. There's, you know, sex and drugs everywhere. Everyone's uh, everyone's excited and happy and um, and, and the team is winning. Um, the coach that Buss brought in actually was Jack McKinney, not Paul Westhead. McKinney had been an assistant um, uh, with the uh, Trailblazers uh, under Dr. Jack Ramsey in 77. Um, so was um, well, well versed in the league. And he was the architect of the Showtime system. Um but he sustained a head injury in a bicycle accident after 14 games in the season. Westhead then took over the team first on an interim basis and then permanently. So Westhead, he had been a college coach at LaSalle University, a Shakespearean scholar, used big words and had kind of a professorial air, um, which led people to sort of assume that he was a coaching genius. The Lakers would not necessarily agree with that, but – you know, <laughs> Westhead kept the system that McKinney built to great success. Um, Magic and Company led the Lakers to the 1980 championship and great performance in the finals, of course, where Magic fills in for an injured Kareem. Uh, his finals MVP with 42 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. And Westhead also definitely handled a Spencer Haywood situation. He suspended him after showing up to a practice high. He was banished from the team and the team eventually voted to not include him in the playoff shares. And, um, which, uh, Haywood, it's that Haywood did not handle very well, but, uh, Westhead, you know, at least initially was 
not, you know, things were fine and things were great. It's kind of in year two when things start to go sour. Yeah, it, not good. <laughs> yeah, things went very sour very quickly, unfortunately. Uh, Wes said, you know, of course, as you said, he got a lot of credit for the Lakers' success in the first year. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that was was his, you know, partially his doing and partially uh, the doing of, you know, prior, prior coaches and the system and all that sort of stuff. Well, that second year, you know, Wes said starts to install a little bit more methodical half-court offense in years two. And the players don't like that. They like running. They like and also they like winning, which they did the prior year. So it's kind of hard to sell them on. Yeah, you know, we did this thing last year, but let's try this now. We'll try a little bit of this. Uh, Magic misses 45 games due to injury. Uh, Lakers failed to defend their title, losing in the first round of the playoffs to the Houston Rockets. Uh, and during the 81 playoffs, uh, Magic and Norm Nixon, who had been closed, had a squabble through the media. Uh, Nixon, who was an all-star, saw himself as a superstar. I uh, seem to feel a little bit of jealousy at Magic's uh, success and Magic's, you know, kind of role in the media and, and, and as a marketing dynamo and all that sort of stuff that was kind of coming to Magic uh, at this time. Uh, and they also argued over, as you mentioned, Magic's close relationship with uh, Dr. Jerry Buss as well, that, you know, he was kind of a preferential getting preferential treatment, uh, you know, a, a friend of the owner. And that didn't really seat all that well with uh, Norm Nixon or other players. And this didn't help either because after the season, Jerry Buss signed Magic Johnson to a 25-year, $25 million contract, which would take effect in 1984. The morning after the contract was announced, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wondered aloud, what is he, player or management? We don't know. So he thought no one would be able to talk to Magic. So not good situation right now. (laughs) Meanwhile, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually asked for trade to either the Nets or the Knicks right after that. He um, there's a New York Times article reports it and um, Buss is, qu- is asked if he'd be prepared to trade Abdul-Jabbar. He said, I'm not sure. It depends on the situation, how Kareem felt, how I felt, or what was offered, what can the, the conditions were. And Kareem is 32, 33 at this point. So he's getting older and no one, of course, has any idea that he's going to play till he's 42. So, you know, the end of his career seems to be on, you know, seems to be coming relatively soon. It, it does make some level of sense with the rest of the team so young that they might consider making that move despite you know Kareem still maybe being the best player in the league certainly you know a top five top ten player in the league at that point so he, he's, I don't know if I could handle New Jersey Nets <laughs> Kareem that's just uh, that, I don't know that, that, that would have been weird yeah that's just really weird but then he would have won like two titles known the Nets would be a charter franchise of the NBA or something like that that uh, still feels icky though Meadowlands uh, I don't know I, I don't know <laughs> well I don't want to disparage any Nets fans here you know they're, no they're well team. they know they know that they're, 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 they're <laughs> I guess they probably do know yeah hey they have Jeremy Lin now I'm sure they're very happy yeah that's man yeah that's that roster it's just oh, I think they'll God. be a little bit better than people expect but uh, yeah it's just like it, it's it's on its face it looks bad because it's kind of like a laugh because you're like it, the, the game of like name more than four nets is, is pretty tough for anybody to play right. so I think that but yeah I think they'll be okay yeah I mean they're not gonna be good be but they might be they might be a little fun you know it's, it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Thinking. but anyway I like Jeremy Lin getting the getting the ball every time down the court <laughs> I yeah. like that idea so Anthony yeah, Bennett too. getting his redemption no I, I like this yeah, Nets team cool. um so one issue that Kareem had was that there were reports that Buss wanted to get Moses Malone from the Rockets, um, and and then of course the the huge contract from Magic didn't help as well. Uh, that of course didn't happen with Moses. He would later go to the um, he was playing more one more year with the Rockets, and then would later go to the um, the Sixers. Uh, issues do get smoothed over just a few days later, uh, and Kareem is quoted as saying, a basketball team is much like a family, and when one member has been singled out, oftentimes other people in that family can become jealous. 
Always, always the, always the logic there. Yeah, it's good logic. I mean, I actually did, yeah. does make some sense. So no, I'm with them. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, hey, you know, he, he calmed down a little bit, took a deep breath, said, okay, all right, let's talk about this a little bit. It's fine. Yeah. So, so in '82, Westhead installs a a new offense. It's heavily structured system uh, that de-emphasizes the fast break and ball movement, and um, it has a lot of guys running to spots. And doesn't really and instead of it doesn't play seem to play to anybody's strength other than perhaps Kareem's because it's it's more, you know, kind of getting the ball to him and letting him do the work, which was, you know, the the, kind of the way that Jerry West uh, did it in the late 70s and makes a certain amount of sense. But you're not really using magic skills, certainly, and and not the other guy's skills that well, uh, you know, very well as well. They they. You know, part of their strength was was running, and Kareem could you know keep up with it. You know, he could he could stay back when he need to, and he could fit in as well. And he's obviously a tremendous weapon. And the idea has floated a little bit that Magic might be pouting because Kareem is becoming the focal point of the offense, which I, I guess is possible. But it does seem like based on how the re- upset the rest of the team was with Westhead, it was certainly wasn't only Magic that had issues with him, and how unpopular he was becoming. That it really probably. I think maybe you could argue that Magic's tactics here were not good, but it's hard to argue that Magic wasn't, you know, making a good decision when it wasn't right in this argument that Westhead was wrong. It's interesting because it's framed right after the the situation, right after Magic's trade demand and Westhead gets fired. Um, there's a Sports Illustrated piece uh, by uh, Anthony Cotton, and it's uh, the quote is. Um, it seems the 42-year-old Westhead, a coach with 11 years of experience in the college and program, felt he had the prerogative to install 25 or 30 new plays, many of which were designed to get the ball into the center. It's really interesting how he, you know, frames it as Westhead was the is the is the aggrieved party here, and he had absolute right to do this, and you know, and and Magic, you know, is uh, you know is wrong here and, and given you know kind of what happened afterward and it, it seems like obviously that magic was the was in the right in terms of being right about how the lakers should play and, and what was best for the team and in and, and westhead was kind of being stubborn um it's interesting that uh and, and certainly this wasn't the only case uh magic took a big hit to his popularity um after you know the perception that he had uh you know forced the firing one other thing that added to a little bit of the tension with the team is that before the season, for the season preview, there is a uh, an SI photo that ends up running inside, and it is uh, it has Westhead as the professor, and then the uh, six of the main players: um, Magic, Kareem, Jamal Wilkes, um, Norm Nixon, Michael Cooper, and Mitch Kupchak, who just been added to the team from Washington. And uh, it sort of it feeds into this idea that Westhead is this, you know, he's, he's described as a, you know, Shakespearean scholar repeatedly in portrayals of him. And he is um, just a guy who um, the players think is over his head, but the media thinks of him as a basketball genius. Yeah, because, you know, he comes in and then immediately snaps his fingers and they win a championship. So it's OK. Yeah, it's Paul Westhead, of course. So uh, definitely, yeah, the picture is, is super interesting as well. And I, I think we'll try to uh, include at least a link to it uh, in the show description just so you can see it, because I think it's an important picture as well. You can uh, knowing what was going on, you can kind of feel the uh, the awkwardness in it as well. So, yeah. Um, so eventually Magic asks Bus directly to fire to fire Westhead. 
Um, Cooper, uh, Michael Cooper said magic really came to hate Paul where most of the rest of the team <laughs> were bothered by him, but w- w- the, it really got personal with magic. Um, bus went to Jerry West and Bill Sharman, who were both former Lakers coaches who are now executives uh, or, or within executives of the teams. And they believe they, they say, well, maybe he needs some more time. Let's not fire him yet. There were some reports later on that the Lakers had actually made the decision to fire West had two games earlier, but they didn't do it right away. Uh, and then when Magic asked to be traded following the Jazz game, it created the perception that he forced Jerry Buss's hand. And the Lakers, in fact, were on a five-game winning streak when Westhead was fired. So you can see that. But given the given the given what's been written later, it, do, it seems like certainly Buss wasn't happy with the style of play and, and it would feel like showtime to him. But the decision I wasn't – I mean, it doesn't really make sense for them to have made the decision to fire him but just not gone ahead and did it yet. That, that seems like – like, why would you do that? It just seems like a pointless thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it's super interesting. And it, what's funny is I always <laughs> is that Paul Westhead, of course, you know, in the 90s and in the late 80s, we, we know him as a man who did the run and gun offense. So it's just so funny that, like, he's he's the stuck up kind of let's slow it down kind of guy. And then when he'd reemerge in the NBA, <laughs> you know, of course, he had a tenure with the, the Bulls, you know, right after this. It didn't really work all that well. And then he would go to the college ranks, Loyola Marymount, all that stuff. And then he would emerge back in the NBA running this insane style, like way beyond anything even the Showtime Lakers were. Of course, they didn't play any lick of defense. They lost. <laughs> plenty of games doing that style but it's just so funny that this is the guy that they were, were pushing and pushing and pushing hey can we run it can we run it can we run it and then he reemerges in the NBA and he's like the most crazed maniac ever you know it's just it, it's super funny I think he still does that style I think he forgot where he coaches now I, I I don't know if he's anywhere now I think he, he bounces around a bunch but I think he always sticks to that run and gun style so maybe maybe he's gun shy now to never go uh, away from that <laughs> knowing uh, how his uh, Lakers tenure ended but yeah. uh, it's just super interesting to see him uh kind of evolve or or devolve or whatever you want to say for for his coaching style yeah and i wonder if there's anything to like this is just this going in this direction is just some sort of like hyper reaction to what happened to him and just be like okay that's why i that's why i was fired so now i'm just gonna do this i'm just gonna go crazy you know uh fast fast, <laughs> fast. if that like there's anything to that i mean i don't know but it's really interesting that he yeah com- almost completely changed his um the style that he coached and he's not the only player not the only coach to do that actually coaches generally do it the other way where they start off with coaching fast in their career and eventually yeah. like get tighter reins on the team and teams go slower Larry Brown was like that for instance and in, in, yeah. in a man we're gonna talk about here in a little bit I believe yes uh, famously went through this transition yes so. right exactly the night that he, that Magic demands a trade, uh, Kareem later says that during the, during the night there's you know there are issues with Westhead and Magic. Uh, Kareem says that Westhead had told Magic to shut up when he offered input during uh, halftime, I believed, and then Westhead scolded Magic a couple times during the game in which um, he felt like Magic wasn't paying attention and Magic vis- visibly sulking during the game. Um, Westhead and Magic later have a private competition in which um, Westhead tells Magic that I'm tired of your horse bleep attitude. So and this uh, it's interesting because this definitely seems like a, a little bit of parallel to uh, LeBron and David Blatt where there was a lot of reading of the tea leaves of feeling like 
LeBron was subtly undermining David Blatt with the things that he was doing, for, you know, on the bench and and so forth, and like seeming like he was coaching the team and uh, all that sort of thing. It, it very much feels like it, it, there's a, a personality conflict in that way, and then sort of the passive aggressive response in a way as well. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously many examples of, uh, of players and their head coaches not really getting along in that sense. But yeah, when you talk about like a, a star player, sort of superseding his coach in a lot of ways because you know there's you know one that I initially think of is you know a Dwight Howard and Stan Van Gundy but that was more of just kind of Dwight being like I really don't like this guy like not necessarily like coaching the team or, or doing anything like that where you know this one was like you said magic was clearly you know, not not saying he didn't that that he just didn't think Westhead was smart. It, it, just a bunch of different things. I think there's just a different level to this one than other normal kind of coach and star quibbles that we've seen so often in the NBA. This one and and yeah, I, the LeBron Bled is a, a very good you know kind of uh, contrast and in, in, in comparison to this one as well. I think it, it really does work. Magic makes his trade demand, but he of course doesn't genuinely think he'll be traded. He's you know, putting pressure on Dr. Buss to finally pull the trigger on, trigger on Westhead, which he finally does. There's one interesting thing though. There's a story uh, that's told in uh, Showtime, the um, the great uh, Jeff Perlman book on the Lakers, and also uh, it's been told in other places. Um, when uh, Magic first visited the Buss home um, after he had been drafted by the team, uh, Magic told Jeannie Buss, who was 18 at the time, that he eventually wanted to play for the Pistons, who were Detroit, of course, near his hometown of Lansing, Michigan. Um, and uh, after that, uh, you know, Jeannie told her dad, you know, what he said. And then she says, my dad didn't bat an eye. He told me, Jeannie, don't worry. He may say that today, but the first time he puts on a Lakers uniform and steps out on the forum floor, he is never going to leave. And of course, that was that was the, the truth. Um, the reaction to the comments is, is um, interesting. Uh, a few players go on the record, including um, Jamal Wilkes, who says, if Magic got mad at a player, would the player be gone the next day? And Magic was really upset by his lack of teammates' uh, support. Norm Nixon had criticized Westhead off the record for months but wouldn't speak up. A lot of the Laker teammates, you know, they may have agreed that Westhead needed to go, but they thought that Magic handled it Im- immaturely. They also, of course, were worried about Magic's relationship with Buss, Magic's power, you know, clear clear power they had in the team. So there's a lot of dynamics going on during that time, a lot of drama going on during that time, even if most of the team is in agreement that Westhead, it was probably time for him to go. Then we had uh, a very confusing press conference. Uh, Westhead is fired and a new coach is announced, or two of them, kind of. It's very interesting. So uh, Buss, uh, he announces assistant Pat Riley, uh, who's a former Lakers player and announcer, uh, as the new coach, and Jerry West as the, quote, offensive coach. Uh, confusion from the media over who was actually in charge uh, stemmed from that. Uh, West really had no interest in being a coach, uh, but he was willing to be an assistant for a short amount of time, and it just it it just did not work at all. Yeah. And then uh, it, there was lots yeah, of... It seemed like Jerry Buss was genuinely confused about who the coach really was like I, I guess there was a miscommunication between him and Jerry West the bus thinking that West was going to be in charge or be able to be permanent coach he was not really that interested in Riley and then West who's offensive who's coaching um years did not go that well would did not want that to happen and eventually uh, you know uh, the Lakers were successful under Riley and it, it, it did become an issue and West went away but but that for a moment was just like a, a complete situation of seeming like you know no one had any idea what was going on I mean, that, that, that would that was just seems like a complete you know mess yeah and absolutely and, and of course a lot of that 
uh, you know, the, the criticism of what's going down and all this, you know, sort of confusion, a lot of it was, you know, being blamed on Magic Johnson, which rightfully so, you know, uh, Nets coach Larry Brown said he'd never take, never take Magic Johnson on his team. Um, and there's a quote from an SI piece by Anthony Cotton. Uh, so for the, uh, the misdemeanor of making Johnson and his buddy Laker owner Jerry Buss unhappy by creating an unimaginative offense, one in which, according to the Magic, uh, the team wasn't getting enough shots. Coach Paul Westhead was fired and replaced by his assistant Pat Riley with former Laker coach Jerry West coming on to coach the offense. Certainly there were no sound basketball reasons for the change. So, yeah. Interesting <laughs> spin there as well. You know, that, yeah. That piece. And I, I, the, the quote after, I think, is really just that one. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, that one's crazy. So uh, Johnson uh, had undergone an abrupt transformation. The 20 year old who had the ability to make everyone smile just by walking into a room onto the court or into a seven up commercial had turned into a greedy, petulant and obnoxious 22 year old. Yeah. Knocks the Magic Johnson narrative right there. The pe- greedy, petulant, obnoxious. The Magic Johnson story. I don't know that that would have been the case. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I mean, it's just it, it's unbelievable that that was a legit quote being said about Magic Johnson. And, and, you know, honestly, rightfully so. I mean, to, to many people's perception, this this was his fault. All this stuff going down. Yeah. And it, all stuff. Happened. And I don't and obviously I don't think either one, you know, fits him to. I mean, he he's you know obviously not fully just the happy go lucky the guy who's there to please everyone and, but he's not like this evil mastermind either I mean, he's just you know he's a he's a person with the, with the complications and the ego that comes with it being a basketball superstar but also a guy who you know was a good team leader and um played well and but you know was 22 and and probably needed you know took uh could use some maturity as well so this is, it's a mix of all these things um but, but it's really interesting to yeah just to see him blasted on that level given what we know of what happened now and it, you know probably a lot of it is because um you know the way that i viewed magic as you know like a you know what when i he was one of the first players that i became aware of and i looked up to him a lot as a um you know as, as a kid and in you know i know you weren't really you weren't really watching when during his playing days but you are, of course are aware of his legend and probably have a, a certain reverence for him as well even despite sure. despite your like your hatred so um <laughs> So to, to, to kind of go back and see like, oh, yeah, yeah wow, that's, you know, amazing. You know, the, the hot takes weren't just for today. The hot takes certainly uh, happened in 1981, 1982 for sure. Yeah, that's one thing you get from the SI vault. Like people think that it's like, oh, reporters used to just kind of do whatever. And then and, and now is the big like, oh, I say that. But like reporters would go out there and really, you know, especially columnists and, and reporters would really go out there and, and and criticize a person if they felt they deserved it. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the I'm doing it just to, you know, and it's not like the Skip Bayless type thing now where it's just like say something stupid to say something stupid or, you know, Charles Barkley's doing a very good job of that these days. But um, it, it was like, you know, a lot of times when when they felt something strongly they they would go out there and say it and they'd back it up and this is another you know Anthony Cotton and another example of guys just going out there and saying no this is this is what I think of Magic Johnson right now and it's just it's crazy that you know with the frame of reference that we have of Magic Johnson it's just insane that, that that at any point this was being said about him and that you know what his legacy would be you know at this point at 22 years old was really under question of, of what's the next step for Magic Johnson where are we going from here with him yes and the Lakers yeah and it didn't take long for him to win the fans back. There was definitely there was you know a huge uproar in L.A. And during the next game at the Forum, he was booed during intros and the first time he touched the ball and during a lot of the game. But eventually, Magic won over the Forum with just an amazing performance. Um, and the cheers came pretty quickly. And as he you know as he played great and the team played great and they um, dominated the Spurs who had you know beaten them pretty soundly just a, a couple weeks beforehand. Uh, you know, at least with the Laker fans, they he patched things up pretty quickly. Um, it took a little while with the you know the the rest of the league. Um, it, you know, it, it 
he definitely was booed a lot on the road and, and he had to deal with that quite a bit. But um, the team uh, was, you know, pretty immediately a success. Um, they uh, Riley went back to, you know, the Jack McKinney wide open full speed game. Uh, Magic was in control of, you know, um, of that and they were extremely successful. They did deal with some injuries. Um Cupjack blew out his knee. Kareem missed some time as well. And between January and March, the Lakers barely played 500, but um, they were able to win 21 of their final 24 games to finish 57 and 25. They signed uh, Bob McAdoo, uh, who ended up becoming really huge for them in, in a six-man role, you know, kind of a reclamation project. Of course, he'd been a superstar in the mid-'70s but had bounced around, been a journeyman. Kurt Rambis also emerged that year to to really help out in rebounding and diving for loose balls, of course. Um, and they cruised through the 82 playoffs. They swept the Suns and the Spurs, and they beat the uh, 76ers in six games. Riley... Um, he started off as this very humble guy who kind of just was continuing this uh, tradition and then later would become very overbearing, later be very controlling. Wouldn't really change the system in that way, but he would be very much a guy who tried to impose his will on the players in a way the players very much uh, resented, which lead, led to him eventually uh, leaving the team after they lost in the finals in 89. But it, it obviously took, it, it wasn't the same situation as Westhead because um, obviously it took much longer. But the way that um, Riley kind of went from this, you know, this humble coach who was just kind of happy to be there to, you know, becoming this, you know, guy who write, reading these books and having, you know, this, uh, you know, this cold personality, the slick back hair and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh <laughs> definitely buying his own hype by the end is pretty interesting yeah and uh still kind of <laughs> doing pat riley things yeah uh, right yeah even this offseason still kind of showing the the parallel thing but yeah he's a guy that's interesting too because um after this lakers thing you know we, we talk about you know paul west had going from you know i i like to kind of run things a little slower to becoming the guru of go that he eventually did become to pat riley who then as we talked uh, uh in, in prior shows or whatever uh, a man who you know Ran, run and gun with the Lakers, you know, Showtime Lakers goes to the Knicks, slows it down to, you know, a little bit of an extent kind of fits the, the, the motif of the of the the league at that time. And then goes to Miami Heat and just completely just destroys any and all pace. And it's just like completely not what you expect of a Pat Riley. And then, of course, later in the Heat still never really got back to doing the fast break, run and gun Showtime stuff kind of turned into a coach that would became a little bit more of the slowdown stuff. But again, like you said, that happens with a lot of the transition of control. When you're a run and gun team, you're really just kind of saying, hey, guys, go have fun, you know, do your thing. You know, I trust you guys to, to do what you're doing. And then when you little by little, as you kind of get more in the league, coaches tend to kind of rein it in a little bit because they want to have a little bit more control. They want to call a little bit more plays. And that's just a natural thing to happen. But with Pat Riley, it seemed to happen very quickly and very loudly. Like you're saying, he became, uh, you know, no longer the humble man that kind of goes, oh, shucks. All right, I guess I'll coach to becoming, you know, what we know as Pat Riley and the, the you know, the the archetype of a Pat Riley type coach. So absolutely. And uh, you talked about Westhead, you know, Loyal, Marymount, Denver Nuggets. Uh, he also later won a WNBA title in Phoenix. He's the only coach with an NBA and WNBA title. So uh, so he did have an impressive career. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, co- co- he he bounced around a lot in different, you know, in, in women's and men's leagues and in all different kinds of levels. So assistant NBA assistant a few times. Yeah, uh, exactly. throughout yeah. As well. I forgot where I last saw him. I think it was on a Thunder maybe or uh, someone's magic. bench magic. Maybe yeah. as well. I forgot. Mid 2000s. He coached with the magic with Johnny Davis, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, so you know things turned out pretty well for Paul Westhead, but um, you know it is really interesting to look at um, 
you know, the, the drama that they dealt with and, you know, how it looked like it could have torn the team apart and they're definitely, but, you know, they were able to um, keep it together and, and how Jerry Buzz looked pretty foolish in, in handling the situation, obviously, despite the fact that, you know, he was the genius owner who, you know, pushed through the right buttons most of the time and led to all that great success. And it's it just interesting how, um, you know, no one, no matter how great they are, is is right all the time. And we have upcoming shows looking at uh, at some of that stuff again. It, you know, even the most successful people have their um, have their failures, but I, I, I guess maintain the confidence in themselves and uh, and make things work. All right. Well, thanks everyone for checking us out. Uh, check out the uh, step back at uh, Fansided at the NBA Vertical that we are a part of. They're doing some wonderful and terrific stuff. You should uh, check that out. Uh, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate a rating, even more appreciate a review, a five-star one. Um, and uh, any less than that, you are dead to us. No, uh, but uh, that really helps other people. That's true. Find no, it is true. Yeah, it helps other people find the show and uh, and, and gives us uh, more popularity and more power that we can, you know, later abuse and um, and lead to corruption and you know lead to uh, making ourselves worse. And um, and also uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.